The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to Sharp Lessons, everyone. Appreciate you giving us a listen to start your week. He's Nate Jacobson. I'm Ben Wittenstein. You can follow the show on Twitter. We give out all of our picks on Twitter at the end of this week for our best bets. Um, and Nate, we've been we've been doing pretty well for our best bets recently. Yeah, great season so far. I believe combined we went six and one. We've had five double best bets where we've had best bet agreement in the first three weeks of the season, and that's five and zero. Oh. So doing really well. I personally went 3-0 in the NFL last week. I did say, though, week two, always my favorite week to bet, betting on the yeah. overreactions from week one. So I could see it going maybe a little bit downhill from here. It's, I mean, we're going to regress no matter what. Yes. This is unsustainable. Uh, in betting, you want to go, I think you want to go feel like just over 52% to break even. 55% is the goal. I think that's a achievable goal, and we're going to continue to still be selective and just give out our best plays and not give out everything we're going to bet. We just want to give out the best information. It's all free, so make sure to subscribe if you're a new listener. Make sure to rate and review the podcast. That would be greatly appreciated as we try to kind of grow this throughout the football season because I know we've had a good uh, uptick in listenership since the football season began. I know everyone likes football and uh we're kind of right in the middle of it with full-on college and nfl for the next three months yeah i know i i remember sam panianovich he told us you don't have to bet the entire board every weekend and i think we've taken that to heart so you know we'll give out five six seven plays for the entire weekend and we've been doing a good job you're eight and one you were perfect on your best bets yesterday um or this past weekend eight and one for the season on nine and five as a show together we're hitting uh, our bets at a 74% clip. So don't know if that's sustainable. I don't no. think it's realistic to expect 74% for the rest of the show, for the rest of the fall. But uh, it's been a good start for us, at least. Definitely. It's a small sample size. But I will say after a good weekend, it's a lot easier on a Monday morning to start doing research for the week ahead. You're a little more excited because I remember a few times last year after a tough Sunday in the NFL, just like not wanting to look at anything until Tuesday. <laughs> but yeah. because of this podcast... Uh, have to do it regardless, so it's much easier to uh, to kind of sink your teeth into the board for college football week four and NFL week three. As there looks like some tricky games, it's it's nothing that really sticks out for me right away. But we're going to talk about the line moves and a lot of NFL injuries and one particular college football game and how that line has kind of behaved since it's opened yesterday afternoon. Um, and then that'll lead up until two more shows later in the week where we talk about situational spots, and then we'll have our best bet episode at the end of the week and all the picks we make um, in football. Yeah, the college football slate this weekend, Nate, is just not as uh, not as exciting as it was last week, and not as not as titillating with all those uh, high ranked matchups. You don't have the Alabama, Floridas, or anything like that going on this week. Um, so we'll, we're going to have to figure out how to bet 
a weekend in college football where there's not super high value matchups going on. And with the NFL, there's always going to be fun games, even though with quarterback injuries and such. But let's start the show with our sweats of the week. Some of these bets that we were sweating, that people were sweating. Um, we'll start with UConn Army. Yeah, a game I wasn't sweating, but I think clearly uh, the worst beat, or maybe the best beat, if you were on the Huskies, plus 34 and a half. I probably didn't think you were going to win that bet, catching, uh, get, taking 34 and a half with UConn. I don't know why you would be betting on UConn in the first place. But Army was up <laughs> 42 to nothing at halftime. UConn comes back a little bit, keeps it close to the spread, and then with 109 left in the game, they score a touchdown, only lose by 31 points. So UConn covers the spread despite being down 42 nothing at the half against Army. And then we had the Vikings first half money line and a full game yeah. money line for the Vikings that, um, you know, I, I know someone who had the Vikings money line and they had counted them out with field goals and everything. And it was a wild ending for that game. Well, I also I think I texted you, too, that I had Vikings uh, money. Yes, line because you were also I'd, I knew a lot of people with the Vikings money line. Yeah, so Vikings plus four was my best bet. And whenever I'm betting an underdog, especially in the NFL, because a lot of the spreads are pretty close, I think they're going to win. So I always put some money on the money line backing the underdog. Yep. Uh, there's two sweats the week here. If you had the Cardinals first half money line and the Cardinals full game money line, the Vikings first half was that money line, I don't know how it got, didn't win. Because the Vikings, they get up early, 7 nothing, first minute of the game. Like, we're, we're wrapping up the noon games on red zone. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, we have an update in Arizona. And I was, I heard that. I was like, oh, I hope, I hope Minnesota maybe is driving at least. And they scored like a 74-yard touchdown. So perfect start for Minnesota. I was feeling good. Vikings, they go up 20-7 to with just under four minutes left in the second quarter because they missed, they missed an extra point. They, they took that 20-7 lead like midway through the second quarter. Cardinals score two touchdowns within 145 to take the lead, 21-20. to Vikings drive down, kick a 52-yard field goal of 21 seconds. So you're thinking, feeling good if you have Vikings money line at that point. But then Rondell Moore, rookie from Purdue, who looks like a really fun, flashy player, especially in that Cardinals offense with Kyler Murray, had an amazing run where he just avoided many tacklers, got to the Minnesota 45-yard line, and with no time left in the first half, Matt Prater makes a 62-yard field goal to take a 24-23 lead for the Minnesota, for the, sorry, the Arizona Cardinals. So if you had Vikings money line, that's brutal. But where this bad beat, sweat of the <laughs> week, hits close to home is I yeah. had the Vikings on the money line. I also, on Sunday morning, threw in a, three-team money line parlay that paid out 21 to 1 on the Panthers, Titans, and Vikings. Ooh. So when they when that kick was missed, I didn't think the Titans were going to win straight up. I think they were down seven. I was just kind of hoping they'd cover somehow. Yeah. But that Vikings missed field goal, 37-yarder, Greg Joseph at the buzzer, down 34 to 33. Really hurts now because that was capped off that money line parlay. Vikings money line. This kicker makes two 52-yard field goals during the game, but he misses an extra point and then misses a 37-yarder as time expires. However, it is the Minnesota Vikings. They lose in the most painful ways possible. 
Oftentimes, it's with the kicker. Last week, it was that fumble in overtime when they were probably near field goal range. They yeah. just lose in the worst possible ways. I'm gonna. I'm interested to see how they bounce back in week three at home, their first home game of the season with fans. It's a great home field advantage in Minnesota. But they're 0-2. Mike Zimmer really has to rally the troops here um, in a game that they pretty much have to win because they gave away two games or they lost two coin flip games um, in Cincinnati and in Arizona. So that's tough for the Vikings. But if you had the Cardinals, and I don't think many people are laying the Cardinals money line in that game just because they're like minus 190 on the money line. But if that was part of any money line parlay, I know I had a friend who had a, a money line parlay with the Cardinals involved, and that was the last piece of it. So good for him. Not so good for me. Good that, news, though, Nate, is that the good news is you covered. You covered in your best they bet. Covered. The Vikings plus four covered. So you had that going for you. You just didn't have that money line going for you, unfortunately. But, listen, good teams win. Great teams cover. So maybe the Vikings are onto something here where they're they're able to at least cover their game, too. Maybe they'll win in week three. I don't know. Is this is this a team? Because you said on Friday, you said, I'm riding with the Vikings again. I was fooled once. See if it happens again. So they still covered for you. They didn't get the money line win. But is this a team you're going to continue to ride with throughout the season? I don't know. I, I think before this season with the Vikings, I had some concerns after liking them earlier in the summer. I just thought that they would be be better, especially defensively. They were off oh, yeah. last year, and Mike Zimmer's teams usually, I would just trust him bounce back, especially the spot he's in where you kind of, I think we talked about it last week, and you said like they're trying to save their season, but he's also trying to save his job. That defense really does concern me, though. Um, I'm not sure what to make of it. It's not good. I think the offense is fine. I think the reputation of the Vikings, like Kirk Cousins, isn't good enough. I think he's fine, especially when you have the receivers around him. You have Dalvin Cook. If he can stay healthy, he's fine. But I'm more concerned about that Vikings defense. I don't think Cousins is the problem, although he might be causing a a locker room riff with some of his off-the-field decisions. But we'll see. I'm sure that's a game we'll talk about more later this week, either Wednesday or um, or at the end of the week with our pick show. Yeah, we'll see how you feel once we get to the end of the week. Uh, let's do our biggest takeaways from this weekend, stuff we can learn, stuff we can take into next week for all of our betting picks. Um, we'll start with the close calls for the highly ranked teams. And I wrote in our article on WatchStadium.com last week about Alabama, and, and they were a team at minus 14.5 that I really thought could be a good bet, even at minus 14, which is I thought a really good number to hit them at. But I put them in the no, I probably should not hit them category, even though I really want to. Um, and it was because Florida A always plays them close. Florida was at home in the swamp, and we saw what they did to each other in the SEC championship last season. And it turned out, luckily, I didn't bet it, so I was happy because Florida was able to cover. Alabama was able to win, but Florida was able to cover, um, and they almost got the win. They they came close to, to taking Alabama all the way, and it was stuff like that where you see and you're thinking, you know, I put a future on Alabama to win the championship, and that was the first game where I'm thinking they they look almost human in that game. Yeah, and it was a little bit of a surprise. They get out to that 21-3 to lead. We mentioned on the show previewing that game, if you were to bet that game, betting Alabama first half would be the only way to go, expecting yeah. if Alabama was leading, maybe Florida would kind of come through the back door, make this score respectable, but – Florida played a, a great game, and to get out of that hole down 21 to three against a, an op- opponent like Alabama, I think says a lot about Dan Mullen's team, even in a loss. 
So they had Alabama winning by two. They were closed as a 14-point favorite. But then there was a lot of other games. And I think all the top 10 teams did win this week. But, like, Oklahoma, they only won 23-16 yeah. against Nebraska. They were favored by 22-and-a-half. Ohio State, they ended up winning by 21. They beat Tulsa. But they were only leading by seven in the fourth quarter. And they didn't cover that game. And then Clemson who had to deal with a long weather delay, so maybe you can throw that result out the window or not put too much stock into it. But they only beat Georgia Tech 14-8, to and they were laying 27.5. So I think it just kind of shows that college football is going to be a lot more exciting and entertaining down the stretch than we, we would have expected going into the year, where there was like a clear top five teams. Uh, the only thing is, like, which teams are going to emerge, and that's kind of what we have to figure out. But I, I think that you shouldn't just blindly lay big numbers with some of these elite teams in college football. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I, I'd stay away from taking, you know, Clemson laying three touchdowns. Just something's not right. And I think with Oklahoma specifically – and the first week of the year was their defense who struggled against Tulane. This week it was the offense against Nebraska. So I, I think Oklahoma is kind of a stay away team in terms of betting on them, at least for the time being. Maybe they did not look good. Yeah, maybe as conference play begins, we'll see a different story. I know they host West Virginia this week, so we'll have to see what happens with some of those top teams. But that's kind of my top takeaway, and I think from college football that all these top ten teams won, but they didn't look impressive. I mean, UCLA, not top 10, but they're oh. 13th, and they oh. were double-digit favorites, and they lost. I mean, do you, do you want to get into the second takeaway, which is related to UCLA, and it's just the Pac-12 South completely being terrible? Yeah, so the Pac-12 South this week. One, The one glimmer of hope for them was USC winning at Washington State in the first game after they fired Clay Helton, and their backup quarterback, a freshman, Jackson Dart, coming in and leading the Trojans. Uh, yeah. to a big victory after they were losing 14 nothing. But the other five teams in the South, Colorado losing 30 nothing Minnesota, Utah over a touchdown favor, losing in triple overtime to San Diego State, Arizona laying 26 points, losing to FCS Northern Arizona, uh, Arizona State losing at BYU. BYU is now 3-0 and against Pac-12 South teams this year. And then the late game, I fell asleep for it because it was on Pac-12 Network. And who gets that channel? I have no idea. But Fresno State, <laughs> people 40 to 37. Yeah, right. Who, someone on like a, a Reddit stream was watching that or maybe on <laughs> Twitch or something. But Fresno State gets the job done on the field, 40 to 37 against UCLA. I was happy to wake up to that because I had a little bit of Fresno State on the money line because I wrote about it as my uh, underdog at plus 200 or better on the money line, who I thought could win straight up. Thinking UCLA was maybe feeling a little bit too confident off that LSU win and then the bye week in Fresno State, who we saw compete with Oregon earlier this year. And now Fresno State is ranked um, that they were able to hang around. And, and they, had a, they had a lead for most of the game, I think, and then they had to come back late in the game on a final drive. So credit to Fresno State, but also Pac-12 South just – absolutely horrible and uh we'll yeah. we'll see if they all lose and they all lost uh usc was a conference game but the rest of the games i believe were were non-conference games so we might get a pac-12 south team that's like eight and four that's going to represent the pac-12 in the conference championship 
And Oregon looks like the only viable college football playoff contender in the Pac-12, especially because they beat Ohio State. And we talked about two weeks ago how bad the Pac-12 North was. So it's really Oregon or nothing in the Pac-12 at this point. Uh, We'll have to see what happens and if they could uh, kind of live up to the pressure because now they're going to be – a lot of teams are going to be gunning for them, and they're going to have to deal with that pressure of being the lone representative in that conference who has a shot to make the playoff. The uh, speaking of uh, underdogs to win outright, my Utah State pick. They, they beat Air Force. They outscored them. I think it was thirty-six to twenty-one in the second half. Utah yeah. State three and zero. That was it? something I, I had to look at the next day. I, I definitely that game got lost in the shuffle as I was focused on some other games. But great call, Ben. And uh, I do want to bring up another big upset when we talk about this next game um, that we're going to have as our our lone college game. We're going to talk about on on Monday for Week Four. Perfect. So let's do opening bell. Taking a look at some of the uh, opening lines for college football Saturday. Uh, we are already, what are we, week four already for college football. My God. Um, Wisconsin-Notre Dame, we only have one game we want to look at for college football because, as we said, it's not the most exciting slate of games coming up on Saturday, but the big game of the week is that Wisconsin-Notre Dame game at Soldier Field in Chicago. Game day is going to be there. A line opened up uh, last week, or going into last week, was Wisconsin minus three. It reopened on Sunday as Wisconsin minus five, and people saw that and they were thinking, wow, that is a low line. So they hammered that, and it got as high as Wisconsin minus six and a half. Market kind of readjusted back to, I saw it went as low to one point as minus four and a half to Wisconsin, and then it got back up to minus five and a half uh, where it stands at this point. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a differencing of opinion. People saw value at Wisconsin, minus four, four and a half, minus five. And there's probably people that were hoping to get maybe a full seven on Notre Dame. But at six and a half, there was that resistance point. Um, it's a lot a lot to unpack in this game, I think. Notre Dame is the higher ranked team. It's on a neutral site. Wisconsin is the favorite, though. I thought that Wisconsin would be a favorite in this game. And I know on Saturday I was kind of thinking about the game after Notre Dame beat Purdue and was thinking Wisconsin would be a favorite, but it wouldn't be more than a field goal. I was clearly wrong. It opened over Wisconsin, a field, um, you know, what was it, minus five. It opened, reopened after the look ahead of minus three. I'm just not really sure about Notre Dame. And if you look at the teams they beat this season, they beat Florida State in overtime opening week. That's Sunday um, of week one. And then Florida State now is 0-3. They lose to Jacksonville State, and they lose to Wake Forest. So it's like, okay, you lose, you beat, barely beat a team that might be worse than we thought. That's not a good result for Notre Dame, even though they were leading in that game and let Florida State get back into it. And then week two, Notre Dame in p- potential flat spot. I think we mentioned it was a hangover game that week of the show. They needed a last-minute touchdown to beat Toledo. What happens to Toledo this week? In the game that our coworker Alex Simmons wrote about, he gave Colorado State out yeah. at like plus 420 or plus 450. And in the kitchen sink game for Steve Adazzo and the Rams, they end up going to Toledo and winning that football game. He also mentioned that Toledo could have been in a flat spot, a letdown spot off of the Notre Dame uh, loss because they were so close. But now you like you look at Toledo, they lose to a team in Colorado State who the week before lost to Vanderbilt. And you're like, okay, Notre Dame, not very good that they barely beat Florida State and Toledo. They did win in cover against Purdue. Purdue was kind of hanging around. There was some, I think, some questionable calls. 
it's a good result for Notre Dame to bounce back. It was probably the buy low spot on the Fighting Irish. I think this week we're going to learn a little bit more about Notre Dame. However, Wisconsin has a huge edge in this game because they were on bye last week, so they have a full week to prepare. So I think Wisconsin, it makes sense why they are out to over a field goal favorite, given the results for Notre Dame and the teams they beat in Wisconsin with the extra rest. It's a neutral field, Ben. We live in Chicago. We know that both teams have great alumni bases here. So yeah. I think it's going to be a – I think you throw out the neutral field or throw out any home field advantage in this It's game. about as neutral as it gets, honestly, for these yeah, two definitely. teams. Yeah, definitely. And it's short travel from both schools, yeah. so I, I don't think that's a factor at all. Um, I, I think Wisconsin, though, is is tempting. The only problem is Wisconsin, we saw against Penn State, just didn't have a vertical passing game. Yep. And hitting, they couldn't hit any big plays, and I'd be worried about laying a, a number over a field goal if a team that relies on running the ball for their offense and just wasn't impressed with Graham Mertz in his week one performance against Penn State. So yeah, this could- right now, probably a stay away. If it was Wisconsin minus three, I would have definitely laid it. But at, at this point, I'd, I'd have to completely stay away. Total is 46 and a half, Nate, um, yep. which is certainly a bit low. But I, I do think this is one of these games that will be uh, an under game for the most well, part. And that's 46 and a half. Another reason why I have trouble trusting a favorite in that situation. Yeah, that's a great point um, for something like that. It's just... It's a, it's a lot of points for Wisconsin to cover against a Notre Dame team who has looked bad at times, but they have also looked capable at others. And you could say the same thing about Wisconsin. So it's really two of these teams that, you know, I, I just yeah. don't know. I don't know where you lean for this one. And, and I would lean for any play in this game. I'd lean towards the under. Also, the Wisconsin's transfer quarterback, Jack Cohn, is now the quarterback of Notre Dame. So yeah. there's a lot Jack of Cohen angles there. Game. Let's let's remember that uh, angle when we talk about this game Wednesday and kind of do a deeper preview of it and see where that line goes because I'm sure in the next 48 hours it's going to be somewhere that's not five and a half either either six or or maybe like four because some people think there's value on Notre Dame in a game with a low total. All right, let's take some uh, look at the market for the NFL teams. A little bit of a, a market watch right now as we take a look at some of the bigger line movements. In the NFL and the theme of the week, Nate, or at least the theme of the line movement so far has been quarterback injuries and the biggest line movements we've seen. No surprise to anyone has been because a lot of the quarterbacks on these teams have been dealing with injuries. First game we wanted to look at Panthers at Texans, the Thursday night game this week. Panthers started out minus four. Tyrod Taylor gets hurt on Sunday. Davis Mills is going to be playing because Tyrod's going to be out for this week three game on Thursday. So that line has moved from Panthers minus four to Panthers minus seven and a half. Yeah, so not too much of a surprise. Tyrod Taylor actually looked pretty good on Sunday against the Browns. Mm-hmm. Now you have Davis Mills, a, a rookie from Stanford, was drafted in the third round. Um, makes a lot of sense why there's been an adjustment. I'm not sure if I can get involved in this game. Oh, no, stay away. <laughs> Panthers 2-0, and coming off a big division win, traveling on a short week. Like, I would even, like, avoid teasing the Panthers and using them as a potential survivor candidate just because of the Thursday dynamic for this week, the short week traveling. That's usually never a good spot for a team, so I think, I'd stay away from this game, but I understand why that now on the look ahead, it was Panthers minus four after this week. Panthers look good. Texans is a quarterback. Now we're out to over a touchdown. 
Colts Titans. Titans minus two and a half to start. Carson Wentz comes in and gets hurt. Jacob Eason comes in to replace him, and he uh, he throws a pick at the end of that game. So I know a lot of Colts fans are uh, – they were worried about Carson Wentz when he was healthy, and certainly that offense is going to struggle if he's not in. Um, but there's a chance that he comes back. We're not 100% sure what that injury is right now. Um, but that line's moved to Titans minus five and a half. Yeah, I think it was a double ankle injury for Carson Wentz on the report. So we're going to see kind of – by the time you listen to this, we might know what his status is, but – Based yeah. on the line, it looks unlikely he'll play. As you mentioned, we saw a look-ahead line of two and a half. Tennessee coming out with that big come-from-behind victory in Seattle, so maybe boost them a little bit. The Colts covering against the Rams, not winning. They lose Wentz. Now it looks like Jacob Easton will start. Now we're out to five and a half. So from two and a half to five and a half makes a lot of sense to me. I think that's a, a fair adjustment from Wentz to Easton, who I'm not really sure is that uh, – is that that great, honestly, uh, Carson <laughs> no, Wentz? That. So maybe maybe there's a, like a little bit of an overreaction, especially because uh, Carson yeah Carson Wentz isn't good, and, and the Titans' defense is not very good at all, and maybe this is oh. kind of a, a good spot to have Jacob Eason make his first NFL start. Yeah, I, um, I'm i not sure if the Titans have a secondary, Nate. I was thinking about this. I, I don't know if anyone exists on the Titans that plays in the secondary because they were just consistently being burned by Russell Wilson last week. So it, it might make sense to have Eason play in this game and see how he does against a pretty weak Titans defense. That total's at 50 right now. So if you're feeling like this is just going to be a completely offensive game, even with a replacement quarterback for Carson Wentz, that over 50 could be a, a tasty number for some. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens, and I'm sure once we get more word about Carson Wentz, we'll, ha- we'll have a better idea of what uh, what to make of this game. Dolphins at Raiders. Raiders started uh, as a minus one favorite, and they have moved to minus four now. Uh, they were at minus five and a half at one point, and that was because the Tua injury for the Dolphins, um, he was taken out in the first quarter of the game on Sunday. Jacoby Brissett replaced him. And as fun as Jacoby can be, he's obviously no Tua, and that line is reflecting that. Plus, the Raiders, 2-0, and and they went yeah. cross-country early game, and they beat the Steelers on the road. Um, so the Raiders are looking more and more legit by the day, and it's unfortunate that we are still the fade John Gruden podcast um, because – the Raiders have looked good, and they are getting a Dolphins team now that has their starting quarterback injured. So it may be possible we see three and zero Raiders at the end of Week Three of the NFL. Yeah, definitely. So with the line, as as you mentioned, Ben Raiders minus one was the look ahead. It got out to five and a half. Now some money is coming to Miami. I know Brissett did not look good yesterday yesterday in, uh, against the Bills, but I think with a full week to prepare and game plan. I think Miami can maybe try to figure out a good way to use him. He is an experienced backup. He has started games before in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts. I know in that season when Andrew Luck suddenly retired, he filled in and they flirted with the playoffs and and not a great division, but still I think a capable backup. And maybe the Ravens now in the favorite role is a little bit of a different story because they were underdogs in the last two games. Now if there's expectations 2-0, maybe feeling a little bit good about themselves. Maybe they won't have the best week of practice. I don't think John Gruden is great in terms of getting teams teams prepped and focused. I know his offensive game plan is still strong, but I think there's some intangibles he lacks in. So I could see why we've we've seen some money 
at five and a half and five on the Dolphins and maybe a little bit of an overreaction in the line from the two injury um, to Jacoby Brissett. All right, we have two other games whose lines have moved, but simply just because the teams playing in them showed how bad they could actually be. And that first game, Saints at Patriots, and we saw the Patriots play really well, and we saw Jameis Winston and the Saints uh, do very poorly, um, pretty much regress to the max in their Week 2 game. Um, and that line has moved from a pick to Patriots minus three. And that line movement makes sense, especially with the Patriots being at home and you know, they have looked solid. Now Mac Jones is looking more and more comfortable as the weeks go on. And Jameis Winston j- just did not look good. He looked like the complete opposite of Jameis week one. Yeah, I I was on the Panthers. It was my favorite bet of the week. It was something you I gave out one. Wednesday early. I just wasn't buying the Saints upgrade. I, I I've understood why they were upgraded over the win against the Packers. It was an impressive win. But I thought it went too far. It was a game they faced zero adversity. The Packers no-showed, and then they didn't put much of an effort to try to come back. So I thought the Saints were getting way too much credit for their win against the Packers. The Panthers just getting by the Jets. But I like Matt Rule in the underdog role, so I liked the Panthers a lot yesterday. And it makes sense now without that we see the Patriots at home as a three-point favorite with the Saints coming off that performance. Patriots making life miserable for Zach Wilson, who threw four interceptions. Uh, I think Oof. the first two pass attempts were interceptions. So it makes sense. I, I think the line is probably correct right now at, at Patriots minus three. Probably the only, only way I look, though, getting Belichick at a short number. Although if you are don't want to overreact to one game, maybe the, uh, the Saints could be a, a contrarian pick, but they looked horrible yesterday. I looked in the box score, only three yards per play against a Carolina defense that maybe is better than we think, but last year wasn't a good unit. So maybe maybe the Carolina defense or something to that. But um, stay away from me. Maybe I'll lean towards the Patriots. Uh, we'll have to see if this line gets maybe up to three and a half because uh, the Mac Jones fever, I feel like, in full effect. And it's a nice spot to, for him to be in on, at home. Um, one, though, one thing – and we could probably talk about this in the look-ahead games on Wednesday. Next week, the Patriots do play the Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. Obviously, that's going to be a big game for them with Tom Brady coming back to New England. Maybe something just to think about when handicapping Week 3. I don't know if the Patriots are going to have a look-ahead game. I think Bill Belichick is too good of a coach to let that happen, especially since they did lose their home opener. Uh, but we'll have to see how this line adjust after moving from pick them to pass minus three. Bengals Steelers, Steelers minus six and a half, and then they uh, looked not good against the Raiders on week two Sunday, and uh, they have moved to minus four and a half now. So a two-point swing in favor of the Bengals, a team that, you know, if the game was in the first half or the third quarter for against the Bears, this line would probably not move as much, but the Bengals actually made an effort. Joe Burrow shook off three straight interceptions against the Bears and was able to almost, in fact, cover for the Bengals. Unless he got the Bengals at plus three, then they pushed in that game. But this is an interesting line movement um, for me, Nate, because I still I don't know what people necessarily see in the Bengals right now. And I was I was shocked that the line was moving in their direction against the Bears. Um, And I'm a little shocked that it's moving this much against the Steelers on the road. And the Steelers are, yes, they're coming off a loss, and it was not a good loss. But I think they're good enough where they can come back and win by 
six or more against a, not a great Bengals team, a team that does not have a good offensive line and a team whose offense has not really shown they can be super productive consistently. I think this line move is all about the Steelers and, and the incompetence yesterday against the Raiders and a really, really bad spot for the Raiders coming off the Monday night win. It was something we talked about all week and how I like the Steelers and, and they fail to meet expectations. They lose by nine points as a five and a half point favorite. I think it's just the offense for the Steelers. It's, it's not a good unit. The offensive line no. isn't good. Big Ben is concerning. And when you're a favorite and you need a win, by five or more points in this instance, or on the look ahead, it would have been a touchdown or more. You, you want an offense that is going to be able to score points, especially if maybe they get behind in the game. And I don't think that's the case with the Steelers. I know they won week one against the Buffalo Bills, but they were aided by a block putt for a touchdown. And you can't count on plays like that to happen every game and counting on turnovers. And I, I agree with this line move. Maybe now it's a buy low spot on the Steelers, especially if their defensive line could pressure Joe Burrow. But with the Steelers offense, I, I don't really know if I want to be involved laying points with the Steelers really against anyone in the league. Um, and I, I, I learned the hard way yesterday backing them yeah. against the Raiders. So maybe I have a little bit of bias towards that. But I get why the line has moved, uh, even though the Bengals also didn't look good yesterday. Yeah, I, I was on them too, minus five and a half. I think we made a great case to back the Steelers, and they, they did not show up. Roethlisberger looks bad. He just he looks old. He looks bad. He can't make decisions, and that line can't protect him. So you put all that together, and that is a uh, that's a pretty shameful offense for the Steelers. Monday Night Football preview, Nate. Let's preview the game tonight. Um, I think it's a stay-away game for me. <laughs> I, 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 I The Packers say. are minus 12. I I don't trust the Packers enough to cover 12, but I also don't trust the Lions. Yeah, so I think the conventional wisdom is Packers looked horrible in week one. Now they're at home. There's fans in the crowd, full fans, Monday night game against a Lions team that before the year was expected to win. Their regular season win total was five games. So it does seem like a spot where the Packers, even if you have doubts for them from the full season perspective, they do bounce back. I think that's why we've seen the line go up from Packers minus 11 to Packers minus 12. This is definitely a stay away from me. I hope the Packers win for my survivor entries. I, I opted to use the Packers and survivor as opposed to like the Browns or Buccaneers. So I hope the Packers win the game. I think Aaron Rodgers probably has a nice game, especially because the Lions are missing their first round rookie from last year, Jeff Okuda. So there have, uh, already uh, not a good secondary gets even thinner. Um, I, I feel like it's a, a Packers or pass for me. I really don't think the Lions are a good team. I know they made the scoreboard look good against the San Francisco 49ers in week one, but they were also, after the two-minute warning in the second half, losing 41-17 to and scored 16 points um, in that period and were able to make the scoreboard look more respectable. So I'm not – going to be laying double digits much in the NFL. I won't be laying it here. I hope the Packers win for some contest purposes. Um, and I think the Lions are a team that just I'm not going to be able to bet on them much this season because I'm not sure no. if we truly know how bad they are. Although next week, the Lions do host the Ravens, and the Ravens are coming off like their Super Bowl against the Chiefs, a team that they haven't been able to figure out all for the last few years with Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. So maybe the Lions at home catching like 10 could be attractive. So 
I guess I'll rooting for the Packers to blow out the Lions, and maybe we get some value in the Lions next week, and maybe some value in the 49ers who host the Packers next Sunday night in Sunday Night Football, a game we will certainly talk about on Wednesday. So if you're thinking, if you don't like the side, thinking total, maybe leaning the over, I do want to say the weather report. We're doing an early weather report for this one, Nate. 14 mile an hour winds at Lambeau tonight. So if you're maybe thinking about the over, just check the weather report. If the winds still stay high, 14 mile an hour winds could change the, can change the total for sure. Um, and I know the total's kind of been moving around, but this could be, could be an underplay if the weather stays kind of wet and, uh, and very windy as well. Yeah. Uh, something to, after a long weekend of football, I probably will, uh, I'll maybe watch and look for a live angle, but I would have no issue staying out of this game because if this game was played at, on, on Sunday afternoon, I probably wouldn't even, Consider it similar to like the Texas Browns game where I just had no no uh, interest in backing a, a big favorite in the NFL against yep. with so much uncertainty going on and potential injuries. That was a game where both quarterbacks ended up getting hurt. Um, Baker Mayfield did come back, but um, you don't have to bet every game just because it's on prime time. But if you you know want to look at something, always check the prop market. You don't have to just bet the side in total. Sometimes it's good to just sit back and, and watch a football game. You don't have to put any money on it just because it's just because it's prime time, just because it's the only game of the day. Hold the money in your wallet. Wait to uh, wait till week three and week four for college football. Uh, but that'll do it for us. We'll be back Wednesday. We'll be uh, maybe making some best bets on Wednesday. That's one of my favorite days to pay, make some bets, get some of those early lines before it starts moving on Friday and, and early Saturday. So we'll see where that gets us. But good luck to everyone for Monday Night Football, and we will see you back here on Wednesday.